Good. I'm supposed to say good. Can you hear me now? Good. I asked this to be only for about 30 more seconds because I understand sometimes it's very difficult to worship in a community where you know you might have a bad point when the girlfriend's close around. You might have a professor that just fails you. It's hard to come to the same sanctuary and worship with him. But I want you to know that God is something special for you today in this house. He is here. Touch your neighbor and say, God is here right now. But I say unto you, 
that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek. You felt that already, didn't you, brother? Turn to him the other also. That's a tough one. I don't know if that's tough for you like it was for me. I'm going to read that again. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite you or hit you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. I tried to think of a clever topic for a message about turning the other cheek. And at first I thought, oh no you didn't. That has a nice ring to it. But then, I settled on a phrase that resonated in my spirit and sent chills through my body, and that is, you missed the spot. Turning the other cheek, you missed the spot. This is an interesting topic and one I particularly struggled with for several reasons. We're observing what is happening overseas in Egypt, as the citizens of Egypt did what the founders of this country did over 200 years ago when the colonists rose up against the British autocracy and sparked other revolutions across the globe. As many of us look with anticipation at what this new day for Egypt means for Africa, the Middle East, and the world, it seems an odd occasion to talk about turning the other cheek. As it is Black History Month, and my family always pauses to remember our history as African Americans, which though full of successes, is undeniably stained with the block of 200 years of slavery and 100 more years of Jim Crow. And as I look and see the substandard education of many inner city children and the disproportionate levels of incarceration among blacks and Latinos in this country, it was hard for me to sit with this message of turning the other cheek. I thought of the many people who would be in this audience today regardless of their ethnic and racial background, who have survived physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, and how hard these four words must be to interpret and to swallow. Yet I couldn't shape the message that God was birthing in me. So I will attempt over the next few minutes to bring light to this concept of turning the other cheek and be a worthy messenger of the Word of God. Before I give you some practical applications, let's observe and interpret what's going on in this particular scripture. Jesus, here in Matthew chapter 5, is spending much time at the beginning of this, this, uh, this chapter preparing his disciples for the work that lie or lay ahead. He had chosen them, fishermen. Somebody say fishermen. Somebody say is. What greater profession to draw from the men who spent most of their days around fish. This was a stinky crew, who was probably wet and slimy half the time and spent most of their days on a boat that smelled like the ocean. But Jesus knew that they possessed the skills needed for evangelism. He knew that they knew how to go out and catch live beings that didn't want to be caught. He knew that these men had the patience to wait because they knew what a big payday it would be if the mission was successful. He knew they would be okay with launching out into the deep. And even if they couldn't guarantee that they would get anything in return for their efforts, they would face the dangers of the ocean, but they would be back at it again tomorrow. These folks knew how to weather a storm. 
Likewise, today, you, right here in this chapel, you've been chosen for, from a very specific place in your life for a very specific reason. You must realize that the person sitting to the right or the left of you today has a very special set of skills. Skills that could be viable to a person like you. My Hollywood movie bus caught that from the movie table. Somebody say, that's okay. I'm taken by God today. I yield to you today that some of you may not even know that you're being called, but you're here, and that's okay. You too are special. And God wants to use you because he sees something in you that will help him heal this land. Jesus also knew something else said in the stage in the scripture, that these people, these followers that he had just recruited were a little green. They knew nothing of the road that lay ahead of them. He began to teach them and prophetically impart gems that they would later need in order to live effectively. I want you to understand that these words you read in the Bible, they're not just written in a vacuum. There's a context for every scripture you read. There's a backdrop, there's a story that surrounds every scripture you read. And you, when you begin to kind of peel away at the layers and figure out what was going on in the times and when Jesus said this, who was his audience, then you really begin to get at the meaning for the word and you can apply it to your life a little better. Consider the wisdom of the Sermon on the Mount as he speaks to these disciples in Matthew chapter 5. After he had recruited them not too long before, and he's teaching them, he's giving them gems for the road that is coming, he says stuff like, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you for my sake. If you continue to read Matthew, he is steadily pouring into them words of life that will become strength for them as they embark on the greatest voyage of their careers, which was to help captivate and capture the greatest catch of their lives, the human soul. Whatever you are destined to be, whatever role God is leading you on today, you'll need some preparation. We're living in times where just being good enough is not enough. And people are growing weary of mediocrity. The challenges we face ahead demand that we be great at what we do. Do I have anyone here that is willing to rise to the occasion? Yeah, that's how you respond. Give me a clap if you're willing to rise to the occasion. I'm telling you, if I'm tired of substandard, substandard customer service, and I'm tired of substandard education, and tired of sub this, and the only sub I want is one from you, Jesus. Steak and cheese. With some peppers. But anything else that is sub, if I'm tired of it, God is tired of it too. And you should be, as Christians. Where do we get off on this notion of being accepting low levels of achievement as Christians? God declares higher. He's the creator of God who created the universe. And if he's a God that, that is that good at what he does, then his children ought to aspire to that too. Well, now that you're all pumped up and gassed up, Jesus says that they that first humble themselves will be exalted. We must decrease as he increases. In other words, those who achieve true greatness focus less on themselves and allow God to shine brighter in their lives. Story comes to mind of Joseph. I don't have time to get into it, but he's a classic example of turning the other cheek. And we see that turning up the other cheek through looking at his story can be a launching pad to greatness. 
This lesson I'm, I'm teaching you today or I'm delivering to you today is all about how you handle offenses. Turn to your neighbor and say, you will be offended sometimes. But there's a reason for that. You see, when offenses come, it is indicative that somebody somewhere missed the spot. When offenses come in your life, I'll say that again, it's indicative that somebody somewhere missed something. Sometimes God has asked you to get something right, but you took a little too long. And so God says, I have to send a trial or test your way to make you a little uncomfortable to deal with the issue that you've been holding on to. Sometimes God intentionally misses a spot. I said intentionally, he doesn't make mistakes. Get that out of your mind. You came here to think today thinking that God makes mistakes and why this and why that. Listen, God allows some things to happen sometimes. Sometimes he says, if I allow you a struggle, Frederick Douglass said, when there is no struggle, there is no progress. The Black History Profile, you write that down. <laughs> and God understands that too. But sometimes if I don't allow you to struggle through some conversations and through some relationships, there'll be no progress. Oh man, I only have 12 minutes. Somebody say, help the preacher. <laughs> Let me move on. Now, you must determine whether God was able to complete a work in you that he started earlier in your life. Sometimes as he is cleaning us out and purges us, there are places that are too hard for us to allow him access to. And so as not to destroy us emotionally, God intentionally misses some spots and he never immediately forces us to make a change because he's more concerned with relationship and keeping us close. Aren't you glad to serve a God like that? He wants you to get everything right. He wants you to be 100%. But he's so much more concerned with keeping you next to him that he will allow you some space to work it out. I know I'm speaking to somebody. He wants us to change because we are convinced and have a deep conviction in our hearts that change is needed. Not just because he said so. Yeah. I got something I call Mr. Woody for my daughter, right? I try not to use my hands, but it's a wooden spoon. You want me to get Mr. Woody? She's at the stage of two and a half where she tests me now. You know, she's getting real manipulative. You know, so now I'm realizing Mr. Woody worked for a while. It was like, you want me to get Mr. Woody? Oh, straighten up. This morning, man, she took the chair from the table, put it down on the floor. I said, girl, put that chair up. And she's trying to do her thing at two and a half, explore the world, test the boundaries, test the limits. I said, girl, put that chair up. You want me to get Mr. Woody? I'm putting the chair up there. You have your coat on the chair. You want me to fix the chair? Uh, how about this other chair? Can I put it in place for you, Dad? Dad, you know, I'll do one even better. I'm sitting in the chair with my legs crossed. But then I thought, I said, wow, the power of Mr. Woody. But then I said, you know what? She's not really responding until I say that. I want her to respond just because. I don't want her to respond every, every time I wield a wooden spoon in my hand. Because that doesn't really develop things that she'll need later in life. She'll only be waiting for the big one to hit before she tries to change. Why can't she just change because I said so? Tell me she's only two and a half. But I'm using this to illustrate a point about God. That sometimes he just wants you to change just because that you recognize he's your father and he loves you. Just do it. And still, we are often reminded that we must tend to a lot of these areas. And some of these areas are areas of unforgiveness and pain. And these gentle reminders, as I said before, come in the form of testing trials that cause us to flare up, become uncomfortable, 
and want to lash out and sometimes withhold the warm hand of fellowship. See, we've missed the spot, and whenever God allows offenses to come our way, he is giving us an opportunity to discover that sore spot that has remained without healing for all these months or years and granting us the opportunity to get it right. Many times, turning the other cheek means displaying a level of vulnerability that says, although you hurt me before, I'm willing for the sake of this relationship and for the sake of the greater good to potentially put myself in the same scenario again so God might get the glory. Now let me clarify. Turning the other cheek does not mean letting people run all over you. No, it doesn't. It means simply not returning evil for evil. She flirted with my man, so I'm going to try to steal her. So this is a Christian campus. We are emotionless when we date. No temptation crosses our path. God Almighty. The professor disrespected me in front of the class, so he gets no respect from me. It's a wrap every time I see him. Don't I'm trying to get you something you can take and live out on this campus. You know? But Jesus said, you have heard that it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but, but. Instead of being spiteful and vengeful, do what Jesus did. You know, state your case if you have to. Protest the situation if you must. And pray like you know God is listening. But please, let God be God. Let God be God. Because when you let your emotions get the best of you, you just end up in the way. Turning the other cheek also delays your natural response to retaliation. And allows God a little more time to intervene before you try to exact your own brand of justice. There's a lot of Steven Seagal's out there. I'm out for justice. A lot of, go back a little further, a lot of Charles Bronson's out there. You know, that when things go wrong, we want to exact our own brand of justice. You've got to be careful about that. And what I believe is that Jesus was encouraging his disciples to cultivate, to develop a heart, a way of living that when offenses come, the first thing that they did not do was figure out how they were going to mash somebody's face. It happens. Sometimes that's our immediate response. But as I was reading this, I got there was a deeper revelation that sometimes when you turn the other cheek, in the process of turning the other cheek, you pause. And you say, you know what? The first thing that comes to my mind is not how to get you back right now. And in that moment of pause, God can move. Let me qualify again. Turning the other, other cheek does not mean letting people run all over you. See, the problem with many of us when we read this scripture and how it's been taught to us, or how it hasn't been taught to us, is that we think in every situation that somebody bullies us or physically assaults us, we need to stay there until God makes a change. That's not the case. See, that's the problem the Pharisees had. The Pharisaic interpretation of the law. This is what Moses said. I don't have time to get into this, but, but what happened, what was going on at the time, is that the, 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 the Pharisees were a, they were a sect 
of leaders, a religious sect, and there were the Sadducees who were mingling with the high priests uh, of the other cultures, the Romans and the Greeks, and you have the folks that were, you know, just revolutionaries, and these people say our approach, the Pharisaic approach is going to be one where we separate ourselves from the rest, and outwardly we will display ourselves as religious leaders, we'll have scribes that, you know, take down everything, and we're going to follow everything to the letter. Later in Scripture, Paul says, as Jesus exemplified so many times, that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Some of you need to understand that you need some wisdom in your life. Some of the situations that you're going through, you may need to pause, but while you're pausing, you need to pray. You can't just sit there and expect things to change. Oh, my God, that's another one right there, right there. You can't just, see, turning the other cheek doesn't mean I'm just going to let stuff go by. Let evil triumph while good people do nothing. There's always something that you can do. It just might not be striking back the way you want to strike back. I gotta move on. I got about four minutes. See, because when you uh, try to exact vengeance, and when you become a, uh, or when you when you allow God to exact vengeance, and when you become a master at turning the other cheek in the appropriate manner, guess what? Your enemies won't even want to mess with you. Because when you move out the way, guess who they see standing there? God. Oh my gosh. But if you're not a person who cultivates the presence of God, oh. wasn't there a New Testament scripture where uh, there was a guy who wanted to cast out demons because he saw Paul do it? And he came up on a set, I'll cast him out in the name of, you know, the one that uh, he was doing and something like that. Those demons said, you know what, Paul we know, Jesus we know, but you we don't know. See, some of you think that you're being proactive, but if you haven't been cultivating a relationship with God and the Spirit is not rising up big in you, all of your enemies just look at you and like, you ain't, you ain't doing nothing. Yes. You're just sitting there. Yes. But when you become the type of people that cultivate a lifestyle and cultivate your relationship with God, when you do decide to turn the other cheek, they better watch out. Because somebody bigger and better is standing there who's going to strike back just because you chose not to. Oh my God. Okay. All right, y'all better get that. Y'all better get that. I'm trying to reel in my Pentecostal self here. Uh, so, let me wrap this up a little bit just to add to what I just said. See, uh, when you keep reacting to a situation and you give the enemy more power over your life, all your enemies have to do is keep pushing your buttons and sit back and say, well, you know, I knew she'd fly off the handle. I knew he'd go back to his old ways. But you see, when you allow God to handle the injustice in your life, somebody's heart has to change or somebody's going to get moved out of the way. Now, you better get comfortable with that because everybody's heart won't change. Somebody's moved up in Pharaoh. And when people's heart do not change, when you choose to turn the other cheek, God's going to move somebody out of the way. And you know what? It just might be you. Oh, my God. Sometimes God will remove the person that is offending you, but sometimes he will take you out of the situation if they won't change. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in church. But God meant what he said when he said, touch not mine anointed and do my prophet no harm. He was equally intentional when he said through Christ that if anyone offends the least of my servants, it is better that a millstone be cast around the offender's neck and it be cast into the sea. Touch your neighbor and say, be careful how you treat me. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, God's got my back. I got to close. I think I have about three minutes left. Am I right? Do I got about three minutes? 
Don't play, don't play, because I will take that 15. Somebody help me out, this is my first time in the ESC chapter. Give me a real estimate of what I got. I got three, right? I know what I'm talking about. Thank you. Thanks for keeping it brief. Here's the power. Let me close with this. The power of turning. When offenses come, the first thing, listen, realize that God has anointed you to deal with this problem. If anything is coming to your life, God has anointed you to deal with it. Number two, God is giving that person from whom the offenses come an opportunity to get things right through an encounter with you. So you ought to feel sorry for people when they hurt you. You ought to feel bad for them. Because you ought to realize that what God is doing is giving you an opportunity. Because he knows that I'm man or woman enough. I'm Christian enough. I'm anointed enough to handle this. So he's trying to help you out. And finally, your response during conflict. Your response during conflict will determine the level of victory that you achieve. I told you this story. When I was in college, you know, there was a group of, there was a Christian group, a lovely Christian group. Was, uh, I'll say it, it was InterVarsity. You know, I worked for them for a while. Um, and the, the, the major constituencies of that, you know, that organization were, were Anglo-Saxon, Euro-American. Here I am, an African-American, and God said, I want you to go fellowship with them. I'm looking at the guitars and the transparencies. I don't see no keyboards or organs. I'm like, oh God, are you serious? You know how I like my worship. God says, I want you to worship with them. Trying to make a long story short, I go and worship with these folks. It was hard for cultural reasons because we didn't worship the same. But there were some other things that really messed me up on the inside. I grew up in the city of Boston. I knew what it was like to be harassed by police officers. I've seen institutional racism, racism in schools. I've been told by guidance counselors that I should apply to a technical school rather than an Ivy League college. I proved them wrong. But I knew what that looked like. I saw my parents go through stuff. My grandparents had stories. And here I was in a Christian environment where I thought people were supposed to have it right. And when me and my fellow students of color tried to make suggestions on how to change the Worship service or change things so that our culture could be represented, we got stonewalled. I said, now God ain't here something. I'm looking for the back door. God said, stay. Are you kidding me, God? I deal with enough of this mess on the outside. You got me here in a body of Christians and I got to deal with the same racism and stuff that I'm dealing with on the outside. But I hung in there. One story I remember. We were in a meeting and one of the leaders, because, you know, we talk different. We got to get used to that. And I said, I'll take two, please, two. I'm, and I'm done. Don't kill me, don't stone me. And we were in a meeting, and one of the leaders, because our, our language is different, I would say stuff like, well, you know, in a lot of black churches, we say the Lord said. That was just a common thing. Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I, but in the people that I was dealing with, they didn't speak like that. So after a while, it came up that they were just upset that I was using that terminology. And one meeting, the guy said, what are you, Jesus' son? He always talks to you. And I about had it, based on all the other stuff. This isn't a Christian meeting. I stood up, I said, no, dog, what's up? I'm, I kid you not. Christian meeting. I said, listen, we can go outside right now. And it's like this. And I stood up and went by the door and waited. I didn't even care. I was saved. I had the Holy Ghost. Not for that five minutes. But, you know. I said, man, this dude better come out and represent talking all that gang in there like that. True story. But let me, let me conclude with this. God really worked, and he really worked a major miracle in racial reconciliation and the relationships that I was developing in that scenario. And those people 
after God challenged them, began to really surround us, the students that they really didn't identify with well in love. And the guy that I was telling you about as I closed, we became his best friends. Couldn't believe it that years later, I'd be over in his house with his kids and at dinner. Couldn't believe that this guy financed my first album. And perhaps, maybe, if it wasn't for him, album four would not be coming out next month. <laughs> The willingness, the willingness of me and the other students of color to hang in there led to the establishment of the Black Campus Ministries, which is sponsored by InterVarsity. Give God some praise for the work that he does. When you decide to turn the other cheek, and I close in prayer, this is how we do. God, I just thank you for this time and chapel of continuing worship through the world. I pray, Lord, that this work will be cemented in our hearts. That we would not be just simply reactionaries in our flesh. That we would shoot off at the mouth just because somebody shot off at us. And choose to gossip and, and do all kinds of things to sabotage our brothers and sisters just because we're hurting. I pray, God, that we live out your spirit that is exemplified when you were on the cross as they were beating you and stabbing you. And you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, let not our anger and our pain rob us of momentum to meeting the destiny that we have in you. I pray for the rest of this day that you would keep us in your will and we'll be careful to give you the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.